this morning to Luke chapter number 19. Isn't it good to be in the Lord's house today? Man, you might have drove here, or you might have walked here, and you might have floated here in a boat this morning. But I'm glad that you're here today, and I trust that God's going to work in your heart. Let me say thank you to our visitors for being here. What a blessing to have you here. And uh, here in East Tennessee, you don't have to go far to find a church if that's all you're looking for. And uh, you probably passed several uh, before you pulled into our parking lot. We don't take that lightly. We're thankful that you're here this morning. Luke chapter number 19. I'd like to begin reading verse number 28. Luke chapter 19, verse number 28. The Word of God says, And when He had thus spoken, He went before, ascending up to Jerusalem. Now this is speaking of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, when He was come nigh to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount called the Mount of Olives, He sent two of His disciples, saying, Go ye into the village over against you in the which at your entering ye shall find a colt tied, whereon yet never man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, why do ye loose him? Thus shall ye say unto him, because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent went their way and found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, why loose ye the colt? And they said, the Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee round, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we love you. Thank you for this good day that you've given us, Lord. You've brought us into your house, so many places that uh, we could have been this morning, but you have brought us here into this blessed place. Lord, we could be laying in the hospital, we could be sitting out at the jailhouse, we could be, Lord, a mortician preparing our body, but you brought us faithfully here into your house. Lord, we thank you and praise you for it. I pray that you'd speak to the hearts of each and every person here. Lord, I know your word is fit for the task. I know that your sword, if it's wielded by the Holy Ghost, has the ability to divide asunder the soul and spirit and the marrow and bones. God, you can speak to hearts this morning. We've come for that reason, to hear from you, to deal with heaven. Lord, for you to deal with us, we've come that we might hear from you. I pray that you bless our preaching time this morning and may it glorify the Lord Jesus Christ for it's in His name that we ask all these things. Amen. In Luke chapter number 19, we find ourselves at an episode in the Word of God that is much familiar to us. You know, next Sunday morning is Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday. And we have set aside that time as a people to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we very often will uh, recognize the Sunday prior to Easter as what we call Palm Sunday. Now let me go ahead and tell you this. I, 
I believe that the Lord Jesus rose on a Sunday. I believe He was crucified on a Wednesday. My basic math skills, and I don't have many of them. i got my shoes on so I can't count too high, but my basic math skills won't allow me to believe that He was crucified on a Friday, then spent 72 hours in a grave and rose on Sunday. You ain't going to find 72 hours between Friday night and Sunday morning. So I believe He was crucified on a Wednesday. And whether or not the Lord Jesus actually entered Jerusalem on a Sunday or not, we really do not know. But we have chosen this day as a day of recognition of that moment, of acceptance and acclamation, at least from a small group of people that recognize that this wasn't just a teacher, wasn't even just a prophet, uh, wasn't even just merely a uh, master or a rabbi, but that this man was in fact the Son of God, God in the flesh, uh, not just the King of the Jews, but the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And this little group of people on this day at the Mount of Olives as the Lord Jesus made that final trip into Jerusalem uh, before Calvary, gathered around and gave praise to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we gather very often in, in recognition on this Sunday to remind ourselves of these individuals and of what they did in memorializing and praising the Lord Jesus Christ in the way that they did. You know, one of the things I love to do is I love to look at the people that are within Bible stories. And you say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, for instance, one of the things I love to look at is the crowds at the cross. Uh, the people that are there. What a beautiful cross-section of humanity that the Lord gives us in the people that were gathered there. You've got uh, Jewish people that had rejected the Lord. You have Jewish people that had accepted the Lord there at the cross. You had family that had rejected Him. You had family that had accepted Him. You had Gentiles, Roman soldiers there that had rejected them, uh, rejected Him. And then one, praise the Lord, that looked at Him and said, truly, this is the Son of God. You even have thieves, criminals, that one of them rejects Him and one of them accepts Him. Seems like the Lord's trying to get something in our head. It don't matter who you are, where you are, what you've done or what you've got or what you don't got. What matters is what you do with Jesus Christ. And so we're greatly informed when we look at these people. They're not there by incident or accident, but they're there by providence. And as I come to Luke chapter 19 this morning, I want if I can, if, if we were talking about the crowds of the cross, we'd be preaching about Calvary. But here on Palm Sunday... I want to take a few moments and consider the people of Palm Sunday. You know, when I look at these individuals that are gathered here, it reminds me that they represent many of us. And you say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, let me first say a word about Jesus. Now, the Lord Jesus here, I understand this is before Calvary. I understand this is technically still under the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. I understand that a lot has transpired since this moment, but there are some similarities to how Jesus was then and how He is now, how He was treated then and how He is treated now. You know, the Bible says Jesus Christ, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so there are some things that remind me of how the Lord Jesus is today. Now you say, what do you mean? Well, for instance, I would say this, uh, then like now we find that Jesus was found by those that seek Him. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, there was a crowd here that came looking for Jesus. And you know what they found? They found Jesus. In other words, He is approachable. He is a Savior that may be found. He's not like some false gods that purportedly live on the moon or live on some celestial planet. Uh, he's not like some false gods 
uh, that are merely an idea, an abstract that are being pursued after with the human psyche and intelligence. No, uh, Jesus is the Son of God, God in the flesh. Uh, He came down from heaven, dwelt amongst men. Uh, He took part in flesh and blood uh, and became likewise as we. Uh, He robed Himself in flesh that He might identify with mankind. And just just like then, today, men that seek Him can find Him. He is approachable. He does not put barriers up. In fact, I'd say this, if you ain't looking for Him, uh, He's still looking for you this morning. He is found by those that seek Him. Number two, I'd say this, He's believed on those that hear Him. Believed on by those that hear Him. In other words, those that were willing to listen to what He said and were willing to trust Him, were willing to receive it, they believed on Him and their lives were eternally changed. You know, one of the things that's not changed from that day to this is that Jesus is still in the soul-saving, in the sinner-saving business. He's still saving those that will listen and hear what He has to say. You say, preacher, how does a man get born again? How does a man get Christianity? How does he, the old timers, you say, how does he get religion? I don't like that language, but that's what they would say. How does a man come to know God? Through the Word of God. The Bible says we're born again by the Word of God, by that incorruptible seed. We hear the truth of the Word of God. It convicts our heart and then we make a decision to trust that what God said is true, that what God promised is true. We come to God on God's terms, admitting we're a sinner, admitting that what He said about us is true. We say, Lord, I am what You said I am, but I'm trusting that You are what You say You are and that You can do for me what You say You can do for me. I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. Please forgive me and save me. You don't have to say it in those words, but you do have to say it in that heart's attitude. Come to the Lord in contrition. Ask Him to forgive you and you know what you'll find? He'll save you this morning. He's believed on by those that hear Him. I'd say this, number three, He is reviled by those that reject Him. There is a sour note in this story and it is the statement that the Pharisees make. They say, Master, rebuke thy disciples. Now why would they say such a thing? Well, because they were praising the Lord and the Pharisees didn't believe that He was worthy of that praise. In other words, they despised Him. What did they take such objection to? Well, what did they say about the the Lord? They said that He is the King. Isn't that what they said? Uh, Look down in our text. I don't have it marked here, but notice what they say uh, unto Him. They began to rejoice and they said, Blessed be the King, verse 38, that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. In the other gospel records, they say this, Hosanna in the highest. That means praise unto Jehovah. They weren't just saying, hey, we like Jesus. They were saying this Jesus is the Messiah of God and is God in the flesh. And when the Pharisees heard that, they didn't mind little religion going on. But when they started owning Him as the Son of God, as the King of the Jews, as the King of Kings, that bothered them. And they said, rebuke that aside. They said, you ain't got no business saying that about Him. It's not true. Well, why did they say that? Because they had already rejected Him. He is reviled by those that reject Him. Listen, I, I, I trust that you're here today. You love the Lord Jesus and you know the Lord Jesus. I trust that that's true about you. I don't know it's true about you, but I trust that it is. I, I, I in good faith, uh, suggest that that's probably the case of, of most everybody here. But listen, you better understand this world is not friendly to the Lord Jesus, does not love Him, uh, does not love His Word, does not love His people. Uh, we're all tore up right now because of the shape that our world's in. But you know our world has really sort of always been in this shape. We're just seeing it. We just got the internet now. Somebody say amen. We can see all of it now. This world has always hated Jesus. That's nothing new. He is reviled by those that reject Him. Then I would say this, He is exalted by those that know Him. Those that knew who and what He was, they were exalting Him and glorifying Him. In other words, the better they knew Him, the more they thought of Him. You know, I found this in, in my Christian journey, 
That those that know Him best, love Him best. That those that know Him best, praise Him most. Uh, the better you get to know Him, you know what? The more you'll find reason to exalt Him. He is exalted by those that know Him. Then I'd say this, He's praised by those that love Him. Why did they do this? Because they loved Him. Because He had been so good to them. They say that they're praising Him for the mighty works that they had seen. Now, what were they talking about? Well, there's probably people in that crowd uh, that had once been bedfast that were now walking in strength. Uh, there were probably people there that had, had blinded eyes that now beheld the King of glory coming into Jerusalem. There were probably people there, maybe even there was that widow woman there uh, whose son had died and Jesus came by, touched the casket, raised him from the dead, and she's standing there whole with her son alive and well. I bet Lazarus was in that crowd who had been dead and had been raised again. You say, preacher, what are you getting at? I'm saying, when they said the mighty works, they weren't just saying some mighty works. They were saying, we're praising you because of what you've done in our life. I'd say this, he's praised by those that love him. He's exalted by those that know Him. He's reviled by those that reject Him. He's believed on by those that hear Him. And He's found by those that seek Him. So I'd say this, there's a lot of things. I know there's some differences. I know Calvary's happened, and that's the biggest difference of all. I understand that. It's not lost on me, but I'm saying there's some things that remind me that the way they were treating Him ought to inform the way that we respond to Him. And I'd ask this, how are we responding to Him? Let me ask it to you in this question. I'm going to give you a list of people that was here that day. And I want to ask you this, who would you be? Who would you be in this crowd? Uh, For instance, I would say this, uh, the first people that we noticed in this passage is the servants that submitted to Him. I won't take the time to read it, but the Bible tells us that the Lord Jesus, He commands two of His disciples to go into Jerusalem and says that uh, when when you go in there, uh, you're going to find a a, a colt that's standing there, meaning a, a young donkey will be standing there. And actually we're told in another Gospel record that it wasn't just the colt alone, but the mama donkey was there with that colt too. And they were to get those colts and bring them to the Lord Jesus. And I'm sure they had a look on their face like, Lord, I don't know about this. God ever asked you to do something and you looked up and said, Lord, I don't know about this. I'm sure they looked at him and said, Lord, you can't just go take another man's donkey. What are we going to do when they say that something to us about? They're not just going to let us do this. And he said, don't you worry about that. You just tell them the Lord hath need of. And I'm sure they thought, well, how are they going to know who the Lord is? But the Lord knew who they were. And the Lord had orchestrated this. And so they go into the city and they, they find that donkey just as the Lord said that it would be there. And uh, that's no surprise. Things are always just exactly as the Lord says they're going to be. And they, they, they take it and they start to untie it. And sure enough, then people come up and say, hey, what are you doing? That ain't your donkey. That's my donkey. And they say, well, the Lord hath need of them. And I don't know. I don't know if those men already knew the Lord. I don't know how God had orchestrated that. Uh, maybe God just muzzled their mouth and bound their hands. I don't know. But for what? That's all that's said. They say, the Lord hath need of them. And they just don't say anything. And then they take that donkey and carry him to the Lord Jesus. You know, I'd say this. I, th- I think it'd be pretty good to be like those servants, don't you? I, I noticed this. I would say this was a strange request, wasn't it? Uh, sometimes God's going to ask you to do things outside of your comfort zone. Uh, If God told you, and by the way, let me make this abundantly clear, God's not telling you this. But if God told you to go down to Walmart and go steal a car, what would you think? God did not tell you to steal a car. God did not tell you to steal a car. God did not tell you to steal a car. But this is the equivalent of it. You understand that, right? Go take this other man. I mean, it was a strange request. Sometimes God's going to ask things of you that you don't anticipate things that are outside of your comfort zone. You say, preacher, uh, listen, I, I I don't know if I could do that. I, I don't know if I could. I'm too nervous to steal, amen? If I went and tried to steal, they'd peg me a mile away. But they asked these men to go, and it was a strange request. But you know what I noticed? It was a successful request. If God commands you to do something, He'll make the, the way for it to be done. 
Uh, you say, preacher, I, I'm, I'm not equipped to serve the Lord. Well, go ahead and let God equip you. You say, preacher, I, I don't even know how God could use me. You don't have to know. Just submit yourself to the Lord. Follow in obedience what the Lord commands you, both in the precepts of Scripture and in the particular guidance of the Holy Spirit in your life. And you'll find that wherever you go, God will make a way. I think it'd be pretty good. I'd like to be like those servants that submitted to Him. But then I noticed there was another crowd here. There was the spectators that surveyed Him. You say, preacher, I don't see Him there. Well, John tells us about Him. Listen to what it says in John 12. 12. This is a parallel account. And it says this, on the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus uh, were coming to Jerusalem, they gathered around and waited for Him there. In other words, there were some people that came just because they heard Jesus was around. They didn't come because they believed on Him. They didn't come because they knew Him. They came because they had heard about the things He'd done and they wanted to... They, the old terms of looky-loo, right? Rubberneck. They, they want to just stick their head out the car window and just observe Him. I don't want to be like that crowd. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, I, I, I would say this. One good thing I'd say about these people, they were interested. Uh, it's good. That's where it starts, is being interested. Uh, you know, everything starts with, with a general interest in, in something. And they were interested. They want to know what this Jesus was about. You might be here today, and I trust that you're interested in Him if you're here today. But listen, it's not enough just to be interested in Him. Uh, you've got to receive Him. There are lots of people that want to sit on the outskirts of Christianity and peer in at it and in indecisiveness refuse to ever make a decision to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. That's who these people were. They were interested. That's good. They weren't indifferent. But you know what I find? Though they were interested, they were indecisive. They were content just to be on the peripheral. That would be the way we'd say it. Just to be on the outskirts of this crowd. They didn't want to believe on Him. They didn't want to trust Him. They didn't want to know Him. They just wanted to just behold and spectate and survey Him. Can I tell you this? There, there's, you know, Christ made this statement. You with me this morning? Christ made this statement one time to a scribe. He said, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. Now what did that mean? This man had come and asked Jesus some questions and he was interested and he was curious and he was right at the point. He wasn't far. This wasn't somebody that had been raised in pagan darkness that didn't know any idea of who God was. This wasn't somebody that was bound in humanism and in atheism and in the rejection of God. This was somebody that was standing right at the door. The Lord said, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. You know the sad truth of the Bible tells us that man turned around and walked away. He did not become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Has it ever dawned on you that hell's full of people that were not far from the kingdom of God? They knew who Christ was. They knew what the gospel was. They had heard it. They were aware of it. Maybe they had gone to church, been raised in church, been around it their whole lives. But they always remained spectators. They always just wanted to sit on the outside and want to say, well, that's good for you, but it ain't good for me. These people, they were interested. They were indecisive. I don't want to be like those people. I don't want to be a spectator. I want to be a servant. I, I, I Listen, I, I don't want to be a spectator. I want to be saved by His grace. And thank the Lord I am. But I'm saying it ain't enough just to be interested if you're indecisive. So there's the spectators that surveyed him. Not only that, we see the supporters that shouted for him. I think that's a pretty good crowd. Look in our text at verse 37. The Bible says, when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. I think it'd be pretty good to be in that crowd, don't you? I, listen, I think every one of God's people ought to be able to worship shout it out every now and then. I know people worship differently, and, I, and I'm fine with that. That don't, that don't bother me. But listen, I, 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 you know, Lester Olaf, you said, listen, you don't have to live in the glory, but everybody ought to get in the glory once or twice. 
Uh, you know, and you say, oh, preacher, that's so unbiblical. I've heard people say things. Oh, that, that's just, that's just you. No, listen to what Paul said. He said, if we be, uh, if we, uh, be, uh, sober, that's what he said. Uh, he said, it, it is, uh, for your sakes. He said, if we glory, it's unto the Lord. Now, what was he talking about? He was saying, when I'm worshiping, I ain't worshiping for your benefit. I'm worshiping for God's benefit. He said, if we be sober, if we be reserved, that's for your benefit. He said, uh, we may tone it down for your sake. But if we tone it down, we ain't toning it down because God's bothered by it. We're toning it down for your sakes. God ain't bothered by it. Everybody ought to be able to worship the Lord. I think it's a good thing to be part of this crowd. I noticed this. They were unrestrained in their praise of Him. In other words, the Bible tells it almost like they just, they just broke out. This wasn't manufactured. It was manifested. This wasn't something that got drummed up by a gospel singer, that got drummed up by a gifted or talented preacher. This was something already living in their soul that had to do with the grace of God and what God had done for them. You didn't have to push no buttons. You didn't have to pull no levers. When they got sight of Jesus, they just couldn't help but praise Him for who He was. Man, that's how I want to be. That's how I want to be. Listen, I don't don't want God to have to crank on my engine four or five times to get me to shout Amen. I want to be ready to praise Him. I mean, I, I want, and I don't want it to be something that's just that, that's drummed up from the outside. If it's from the outside, it ain't nothing good. I want it to be something that lives in my soul because of the grace of God, what He's done. I just want to live in presence of mind of how good God's been to me. You know what I find that the more mindful I am of God's goodness, the easier it is to praise. Him. Usually, most of the time when I'm having trouble praising Him, it's because I don't forgot how good He's been to me. I, they were unrestrained. Number two, they were unashamed in their praise. I'm sure, man, and we see it. I mean, not far along in the text that the Pharisees started they started criticizing, they started sniping. Listen, there's always going to be a crowd. There's always going to be a crowd that's got a problem uh, with people. Getting, I'm talking about worshiping the Lord, getting excited for God, whether it's in the realm of service. When it's in the realm of service, they call it fanaticism. When it's in the realm of worship, they call it foolishness. But really, at the end of the day, you know what their problem was? They didn't have what those people had. And that's why they was mad. They didn't believe what those people believed. They didn't have what those people had, so they couldn't understand it. But you know, they didn't let that stop them. They were unashamed. They said, listen, I ain't doing it for your benefit. Like Paul said, I'm doing it for the Lord's benefit. I'm doing it because He's worthy of this praise. I'd like to be part of that crowd of the supporters that shouted for Him. There's another crowd here. We don't find them in Luke, but the book of Mark talks about them. I like this crowd. Listen to what Mark 11, 8 says. Now, we've read the text. You know what it says? That as Jesus is walking forth, people took off their garments and laid them on the floor so that He could walk. Now, you say, why would they do that, preacher? We do the same thing today. When there's somebody that we feel is important, we put a red carpet out in front of them. And the idea is we're saying that we're not worthy of sharing the same earth or the same ground. We're saying they shouldn't have to condescend to walk on the same dirt that we walk on. Uh, now listen, we, Hollywood and, and, and sports does that for people uh, that can barely even write their names. But here we find that they did it. I don't know if that was offensive or not, but whatever. It's true. People can't do nothing more than throw a ball or cry on television. Uh, listen, that, uh, that, that, that's who they roll the red carpet after. Who do God's people roll the red carpet for? Out? One person. And that's the Lord Jesus. So they, they spread these garments before Him. But now listen, there was a crowd here they didn't know Jesus was showing up. If they had known He was showing up, they would have brought, they would have worn their best coat. They didn't know He was showing up. They just, there's a crowd and they're following. Then all of a sudden they see who this is and they weren't prepared. Listen to what the Bible says in Mark 11, 8. It says, many spread their garments in the way and others cut down branches off the trees and strawed them in the way. There was some old boy there in a short sleeve t-shirt looked around and said, 
I can't give nothing to the Lord unless I was to be a modest doing it. What am I going to do? But he didn't let that stop him. He said, here's what I'll do. I can't give what somebody else gave, but I can give what I'm capable of giving. I can't do exactly what they did. I, I, if I could, I would. But because I can't, Ken, I'm going to go and I'm going to do the best that I can. See, they were unequipped to bless Him like others were. They didn't have garments. They weren't prepared. They weren't ready. And sometimes people say, Preacher, I'd serve the Lord if I was just better equipped. Well, here's what you do. You don't have a garment fit to give Him. Go ahead and reach up there and grab one of them palm branches and cut it off and strew it at His feet. You say, what do you mean, Preacher? I'm saying you may not be able to do what other people can, but you can do what you can do. We spend all of our time paralyzed with inactivity over the fact that we can't do what somebody else can do instead of getting busy doing what we can do for the Lord. I see they were undeterred in blessing Him. They said, I can't do it like they can, but I can do something. I like that crowd. I, I want to be like that. I, I want to be like Mary was in, in the house when she broke the alabaster box and the Lord said about her, she has done what she could. I hope when I get to heaven, I don't have to hear you've done more than anybody else. When I get to heaven, I don't have to hear you've done better than the guy before or the guy that came after you. All I need to hear is, Toby, you've done what you could. That'd be enough for me. Just to know I've done everything. It may not be as much as somebody else did, but done everything I could for the Lord Jesus Christ. So there was the spontaneous that spread branches before. There's a couple more here. I noticed this, and we already mentioned them, but the Bible says in, in verse 39, some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you, if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. There were the scoffers that scorned him. In other words, they're sitting there, they're rolling their eyes, they're scoffing, they're huffing, they're puffing. Because these poor, dumb, ignorant people would look at this Jesus and praise Him as the King of all glory. See the hostility in their demand. They didn't ask, they didn't say, Lord, why are these people praising You? They didn't say, Lord, is this appropriate that they do this? That's really what it's rooted in. They're saying, you're not who you say you are, and because you're not who you say you are, this is inappropriate. You know why people think the level to which God demands devotion to Him is inappropriate? Because they don't believe He's who He says He is. Hey, listen. Well, if He is who He says He is, church three times a week ain't too much. If He is who He says He is, reading your Bible every day, that ain't too much. If He is who He says He is, 10% or 15 or 20 or whatever the Holy Ghost squeezes your heart to give, it ain't too much. If He's who He says He is, uh, sharing the gospel ain't too much. You know why we begin to think it's too much? Because we forget that He is who He says He is. If He's the God of glory, God robed in flesh, the Son of God, the sweet Savior, the One that paid our sin debt, that redeemed us from our lost condition, then what could He ask that would be too much? You see, they didn't believe He was who He says He was. So they said, this is inappropriate what they're doing. They were openly hostile. They didn't believe on Him. They rejected Him. I don't want to be part of that crowd that treats Jesus as lesser than what He is. I want to treat Him, I want to treat him as exactly who He is. You say, preacher, it might be too much. No, it won't ever be too much. But preacher, He might ask more of you than, than the social clubs do. He's worth more than the social clubs are worth. Preacher, He might ask more of you than your co-worker does. He's worth more than uh, my co-worker is. Uh, preacher, he might ask more of you than civic duty demands. He's worth more than civic duty demands. Preacher, he might ask more of you than what your family requires. He's worth more than what my family is. I'm saying he's worthy. I see the hostility of their demands. But then I love this, man. I see the futility of their demands. Here's what the Lord says. He says, I can tell them to hush. 
But if I did, these rocks would start crying out. These trees would start singing praise. Here's what he's saying. You may be mad about what they're saying, but your, your hostility about their praise is not going to hinder praise from happening. You might be able to stop them, but you ain't going to stop me from getting my praise because I'm worthy of it. Let me make two statements right here, and, I'm, and we're about done with this introduction. Let me make two statements here. That time it wasn't a joke. Let, let me make two statements here. One, let me say this. The devil might be able to stop you from serving him. But you know what God's going to do? He's going to find somebody that will serve him. He's going to find somebody that will serve him. And there's plenty of people that get mad at God. Something bad happens in their life or somebody at the church house hurts their feelings or whatever it is. And they get mad and they sulk and they take their ball and they go home. And they sit at home and they say, well, I'm not going to serve God. And they believe in their mind that God just all of a sudden calls a time out. Says, okay, it's all done. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm not trying to be ugly. This is true for me. This is true for me. This is true for me. If I get out in the ditch, if I get mad at God, if I go home and sulk, God ain't going to shut down heaven over me. God ain't going to shut down church over me. God's going to go on and find somebody that will be faithful and will serve Him. But I would say this. I don't want somebody else taking my place. I don't want. Maybe I'm just jealous hearted. I don't know. Maybe I'm childish. But shame on me if I let the rocks praise it when I ought to be praising Shame on me if the trees have to sway their limbs in glory and praise unto Him because I'm too stubborn to praise Him. I'd say this, and then let me make a second statement about it. Uh, listen, we, we may rail against God, but that's not going to stop God from being God. Why was He getting praise? He was getting praise because of who He was. Just because they could hush up those disciples, it didn't change who He was. Hey, listen, all hell may assail the church of the living God but she's going to march on. You know why? Because it's not my church and it's not your church, it's His church. And listen, well, listen. all of hell may set itself against the work of God, but it's not going to stop God from work. He's going to press on. We may get mad, we may say, preacher, I'm mad at God, I don't like that God did this or did that. And you're not always asked to like everything that God does. You're asked to praise everything that God does, but you ain't always asked to like everything that God does. But I'd say this, you, you may say, well, preacher, what's God going to do without me? He's going to keep being God. He's going to keep being God. So you say, what does all that mean? Well, it means you ought to get with it and not get left behind. Don't get left behind in the work of God. Get with it and go on and serve God or else He'll grab a rock to do what you and I do if He has to. He'll grab a tree to do what you and I do if He has to. So I, I see there's the scoffers that scorn. But there's another crowd here. Look down at verse 41. The Bible says, When He was come near, He beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. Now what's He saying? He's weeping over Jerusalem and He's saying this, The only hope you have, Jerusalem, was to receive Me. He says, here in a few years, the Roman uh, mechanism of war is going to steamroll over this place. And the only hope you had was to receive me as your Messiah. He goes on to describe that. He says, for the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another. And this is why, he says, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. You are still waiting for somebody to show up that's standing right in front of you. You rejected me because you were resting in your own self. I would say this, we see the self-righteous that spurned him. There was a crowd that said, thank you, but no thank you. We're all right on our own. You know, every sinner that dies in their sin, that's really what they're saying to God. They're saying, no thank you, I'm good on my own. 
I notice here that they had rejected His redemption. He came and said, I'd, I'd save you, I'd deliver you. I'm waiting for you. In another place He says this, How often would I have gathered thee under my wings as a mother hen doth her chicks. I'd take all the abuse, I'd take all the punishment, I'd take all the hostility, and I'd shield you over. What a picture of salvation. He says, that's what I want to do for you. Uh, you say, preacher, what does God want with me? Well, number one, He wants to save you. He wants to save you. That's what He wants out of your life. You can't serve Him until He saves you. You're not His child yet. He wants to save you. Uh, you say, preacher, doesn't He want to bless me? Not until He saves you. Preacher, doesn't He want to use me? Not until He saves you. The first thing, He wants to save you. Then He wants to transform your life and make it anew. That's what He's waiting to do. You say, why would God be interested in me? Because you're a sinner and He came to save sinners. Listen, they rejected Him, but you know why? We know why they did it. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans why they did it. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 10. Paul's talking about Israel and Jerusalem too. And he says this, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record, he says, that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. That they had rejected His redemption. You know why they did that? Because they rested in their own righteousness. They said, we're okay on our own. Can I tell you this? Ain't none of us okay on our own. Ain't none of us okay on our own. If we're okay, we're okay in Christ Jesus. In fact, you get in Christ Jesus, you're better than okay. But outside of Christ Jesus, you ain't even coming close to okay. The Bible says that our attempts at righteousness are but filthy rags before Him. Your best 30 seconds turns your stomach to God. That's who we are. That's what our nature is. That's what our condition is. The preacher, that's bad news. Yeah, but I got some good news for you. You can't be righteous on your own, but Jesus Christ will be righteous for you. And He will take that righteousness and robe it upon you. You say, preacher, how could He do that? Well, because He took your rottenness and robed it on Himself at Calvary and paid the price for your sins. And because of that, there's a great exchange that can take place. Uh, you give Him your rottenness, He'll give you His righteousness. Then you don't have to worry about being righteous with God. Not to say we should not live right and be holy before God, but it's not motivated by us trying to get to heaven. We live right because we're already going to heaven. We have submitted ourselves to the righteousness of God. Being ignorant of God's righteousness, they went about to establish their own. If you know how righteous God is, you won't even try to establish your own righteousness. If you understood how holy He is, you wouldn't call anything about you holy. You wouldn't pretend like you're all right on your own if you knew who, what, what He was and who He is. But when we know who He is, we'll say, "Ah, Lord, I could never do that. You're telling me, uh, you're telling me the standard is the glory of God? Well, boy, I'd say with Paul, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But once we admit that, you know what we can do? We can say, I can't be righteous on my own. But Lord, if You'll give me Your righteousness, I'll submit to that righteousness and I'll accept that righteousness. I don't want to be a part of that crowd. Thank the Lord by His grace I'm not. Let me say this, I don't want you to be a part of that crowd. Uh, Most people, in fact we could possibly say all people, but certainly we could say most people die and go to hell and are surprised when they get there. Has that ever dawned on you? Most people that die and go to hell are surprised when they get there. Because they had been a good person, they had given to charity, they had been baptized, they had gone to the church house, and they had rested in all those things and believed that they were enough and said, look at my righteousness. They wake up in hell and realize their righteousness was not enough. 
I, I, I don't want you to be a part of that crowd. But you say, well, preacher, that's good. I, who, who would we be? Well, I don't know. But can I, and I'll get to my message this morning. It's a short message. Don't get nervous. But can I tell you, if I had my choice, who I'd want to be? I, it'd be good to be the servants that submitted to him. Man, that'd be good. I, I want to be a servant of the Lord. Uh, listen, it, it, it would be good to be part of those the, those supporters that shouted for him. I, I want to praise him and be unashamed. I want to be part of even the spontaneous, spontaneous uh, that, that spread palm branches before him. I, I don't have to do what everyone else does, but if I can do everything I can do, I believe God will be pleased with it. But you know who I really want to be, if I'm to be honest? I want to be those donkeys that delivered him. Now, I'll go ahead and admit to you, there, there's a little bit of projection going on here. I already feel like a donkey half the time, so I might as well just go ahead and idolize him. But when I read about these donkeys, I think to myself, you know, of that day, the most important crowd there, the most important uh, individuals there, it, it was not just the, the servants. I'd say this, if God had the ability to have that donkey waiting on them, God had the ability to bring that donkey to the front door without them having ever got it in the first place. I would say this, the supporters are good to shout it for him, man. Praise the Lord. But you know, he don't have to be told who he is to know who he is. He knows he's God. He would have rode into Jerusalem even if nobody had shouted for him. I'd say it'd be good to be that crowd that spread the garments out before him and, and that cut the palm leaves down and spread it. I, I want to be like that. But I'd say this, hey listen, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He would have went on into Jerusalem if there had been no garments that were spread down. He didn't come down for reputation. He made Himself of no reputation. But the one individuals or the entity that this day could not have happened without was those donkeys. Now somebody's going to say, well, preacher, He could have just willed Himself there. No, He couldn't have done that. He had the power to do that, but He wouldn't have done that. You know why? Because the Bible tells us in the Old Testament that God in the prophet Zechariah had prophesied that Jesus would come riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. In fact, I would say this, the donkeys that are here this day are the only entity that this day could not have happened without. And I want to be like them. You say, well, how so? Well, a few things I want you to notice, I'm going to mention and be done this morning. Uh, notice first off the preparation of the donkey. I want to be like this donkey in a couple ways. Well, one, I would say it this way. I want to be like this donkey because this donkey was there by purchase. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, remember what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that it is a, a, a mother donkey, a dram, a mother donkey, and then it is her colt, her young donkey with her. And I thought long and hard, you know, isn't that interesting that the mother is there with the colt? Most of the time that wouldn't be required if that colt hadn't been exceptionally young, or it would not be required if that mother had other donkeys that it had to look after, that it had to accompany. It sort of implies to me this, that this donkey was probably the only donkey that this mother donkey had had. This colt was probably the only donkey that this mother donkey had had. And by the way, that's in keeping with the Word of God because you're always supposed to bring the firstborn to the Lord. In the Old Testament, they were required to give the firstborn of every animal that they raised unto the Lord. If they had a flock of sheep, they were to take the first and give that unto the Lord. If they had, you know, whatever, I don't know if they raised a herd of turtles, whatever it was, that first turtle would go to God. Whatever it was, the first thing would always go to the Lord. But did you know that God made an exception because He knew how, how instrumental that, that donkeys and beasts of burdens were to the way of life of the people in that part of the world? Did you know He made an exception to that? This is what the Bible says in Exodus 13, 13. It says, In every firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb. And if thou wilt not redeem it, 
then thou shalt break his neck, and all the firstborn of man among thy children shalt thou redeem. Here's what God said. I want you to sacrifice the first of whatever animals you have. But because I know that there is a purpose in a donkey being there, because I know your family can't survive without that donkey, here's what you can do. Instead of killing that donkey, you can go out into the flock and you can grab one of those sheep, Brother Ken, one of those lambs, and you can bring it in. And the lamb from the flock can die in the place of the donkey so that it can live and go on and fulfill its purpose. In fact, I'd say it this way. This colt, this donkey, it couldn't have even been there. But there was a lamb that had been slain in its place. And so it was allowed to be there. I'd say this. You know why I admire these donkeys? First of all, it don't even have anything to do with the donkey. It's because there was a lamb that died for it. And it was there purchased by the divine decree of God and the death of the Lamb. Let me say this. If you're going to be what God wants you to be, and we've already looked, we've preached around it this morning, but let me just go ahead and say it right here. There's going to have to be a purchase take place in your life. You're going to have to let God purchase all that old sin debt, purchase who you are and what you are and how you are, and pay the price for your sin debt through Calvary if you're going to go on and be used of God. There's people in this world that want to be used of God but they don't belong to God yet. They like the idea of making their life count, making it matter. That's normal. You know why God gave this provision? Because a family would have a plan for a donkey. They wouldn't just raise him because they like to look at him. They didn't give milk for him to use. They didn't. They had a plan for them. And that's why they redeemed them. You know why God redeemed us? Because there's a plan for our life. And there's people, they want that plan, but they don't want that purchase. But you ain't going to get that plan without that purchase you're going to have to submit yourself to the righteousness of God and be born again. So it was there by purchase. And, and, and I admire it for that reason. Number two, it was there by providence. The Bible says this, what the Lord says in verse 30, Go ye into the village over against you, in the which at, the entering, at your entering ye shall find a colt tied, whereon yet never man sat, loose him and bring him hither. And the infinite, omniscient mind of God, this colt was not there by accident. He didn't say, go into the city and find us some colt. Get some low miles and, and, and electric windows. He says, there's a specific colt. There's one that in the mind of God has been set forth. And it's given for a purpose. And it's put, it's planted, it's tethered right where I want it to be. You go in there, walk into the city, take three steps, look left, and there you'll find it. What happened? They walked into the city, took three steps, looked left, and there she stood. In other words, it tells me this. It was not there by accident. It was there by providence. The Bible tells us, and I'll say a word about this here in a moment, but in another gospel account, it says it was in a place where two ways met. In other words, it was in a place where if it got loose, it would have been easy for it to run off. You say, preacher, why hadn't it run off? Because God had planted it there and had put it there and it was not there by accident. It was there to be used of God at the appropriate time. You know, in your life and mine, we're not here by accident. One of the great deceptions that the devil has perpetrated on the world is the notion of, of luck, of chance, of fortune. You know what words those words replace? Words like providence. Words like sovereign. Uh, phrases like the will of God. Listen, you ain't nowhere by accident. Now, I've wound up in some places that I didn't intend to be. But I was never there by accident. You're where God wants you to be because God has a plan for your life. But I thought about this too. It's in this place where two ways meet. And maybe I'm trampling over my message here, but it's in a place where two ways meet, but it ain't going nowhere. Now if you turn an animal loose, particularly a young, 
uneducated animal loose, it's going to run one way or the other. Traffic going around it all the time, it would have ran. But you know where it was? It wasn't where it wanted to be. It was where God wanted it to be. In other words, in, in our life, part of the providence of God does not just mean I am where I am because God wants me to be there. But part of God's providence is to say, and I want to be where God wants me to be at all times. In other words, there's two sides to that coin. It's true we can look towards heaven and say, well, Lord, You knew I'd be here and I'm, I'm where You want me. But we really only say that if we're actively trying to find ourselves in the will of God in the first place. Listen, the, the, the fatalist wants to say, well, whatever will be, will be. Uh, the determinist wants to uh, look at it and say, well, I can do my own thing and I can control my own life. But you know, neither one of those are entirely true. Where does the biblicist find themselves in this understanding? God controls all things. Uh, but only in as much as I submit myself to God can He get glory out of the way that He governs my life. Uh, in other words, it was there by providence. Let me say number three, it was there for a purpose. For a purpose. The Bible says, and, and I love this, there's just some passages that just strike me as so relevant and, and, and God just understands the human heart. The Bible says in verse 32, they that were sent their way, went their way and found even as He had said unto them, and as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, why loose ye the colt? Pause for a moment there. Could you imagine how awkward that moment was? Uh, could you imagine you're breaking into somebody's car and they come out of the house and shine a flashlight in your face and say, excuse me, what are you doing? And the best answer you have is, God sent me and He wants your car. <laughs> I bet there's police officers who've heard that before. I'm on a mission from God, you know. But, you know, whenever they answer, this is what the Lord tells them to answer. He doesn't say, show them your ID. He doesn't say, show them this proof. He doesn't, like He did with, with Moses, he doesn't say, here's a miracle to perform. He says, this is what you say. You look at him and say this, the Lord hath need of him. I thought to myself, I don't know that there had ever been another time in the history of humanity that the precious lips of God would condescend to say of a common beast of birth, I need that. Then I thought to myself, you know, the psalmist made this statement, what is man that thou art mindful of him? David felt the same way about God using him as no doubt this donkey would have felt about God using it. Why did God use it? Because God had a purpose for its life. God uses you and me because He has purpose in our life. Uh, God didn't just uh, spin us out of the cosmos and, and, and scatter us on the earth with no sense and with no meaning. You're here because God loves you, because God cares about you, and because God wants to do something meaningful with your life. It's amazing. You look at the vast arm of the public education system and untold millions upon millions, maybe billions of dollars are spent yearly on guidance counselors and encouragement and psychological help for these young people that are growing up, many of them in an ideological and some of them in an abusive uh, war zone in their own personal lives. And I've often thought, what a counterproductive notion. The, the state education system uh, gives assigns everyone a number, treats them like figures on a spreadsheet, then spends billions of dollars trying to tell them that their life has meaning. You know, God has a shortcut for that. God never treats you like a number or like a figure on a spreadsheet in the first place. The Bible says it tastes of death for every man. Christ died for you. If you had been the only person to ever live, He would have still come to Calvary. He would have died just for you. Why is that? Because there's a purpose in your life. So I see the preparations of the donkey. And then finally, and I know you don't believe me when I say that, but I'm going to say it anyway, finally. 
I got good scriptural ground for that because the Apostle Paul in chapter 3 of the book of Galatians says, finally, my brethren, then goes on two more chapters after that. Alright, I'm in good company. I ain't worried. I see not only the preparation of the donkey, I see the prerequisites of the donkey. See, if this donkey was to be used, there was a few things that were required of it. You say, well, what, do you, what was required? Well, let me give you this one. The Bible says in verse 30, the Lord said unto them, go ye into the village over against you, in the which at your entering ye shall find a colt tied. And then he says this, whereon yet never man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. Now, most of the time to a person wanting to ride a beast of burden or any type of animal for transportation, they don't want an animal that nobody's ever sat on. They want an animal that is well broken and well trained. The Bible tells us that the Lord, one of the reasons He wanted this donkey is because no man had ever sat upon it. Well, let's stop and think about that for a moment. If most people want a donkey that's been well trained, why would a person want a donkey that's never been trained? Maybe because this... It's better to have a donkey that is not trained, untrained, than to have a donkey that is ill-trained. In other words, if that donkey had been trained by some master, it would have had a master other than the Lord. The Lord would have had to fight against and contend against the the opposing, uh, the, the warring desires and training that that donkey had had. And it might not have done exactly what He wanted. It's interesting to note that the sovereign God of the universe could not deal with a donkey that had been malignly trained. He could deal with one that had never been trained. You know why? Because He's the Creator. He could deal with one that had never been trained, but He could not deal with one that had been ill-trained. So what are you getting at, preacher? I'm saying this. You say... Lord, Lord, I couldn't do anything for you. I I don't even know what I would do. I'm not capable. I've never been trained. Oh, God can deal with that. What he can't deal with is people that have had so much training that they've trained God out of their reckoning. God can deal with people that don't know much. But it's a lot harder to deal with somebody that knows all the wrong things. You know what this tells me? Here's what he wanted. He wanted out of this donkey a singular loyalty. He didn't want a donkey whose manners were corrupt. He wanted a donkey that was pure, that was untainted, and that was he could use exactly like it was. You don't have to be the best, but you do have to be all His. You do have to be all His. You don't have to be the best. You say, preacher, what's God asking for? Not much, just everything. You say, preacher, that's a lot. Only if you think a lot of yourself. If you recognize you ain't much, and He wants everything, then you'll admit He ain't even asking for There were no manners that had corrupted him. But then I would say this, there was no master to compete. You know what God can't deal with? You know what He won't deal with? He will not compete with the devil's influence over your life. You're you're either going to submit to Him or not. In other words, He didn't want somebody, a donkey that had been ridden by somebody else because He didn't want anybody else to be able to call that donkey's name and get its attention. You know why God can't use some of us? Because every time the world calls, we turn our head. Every time something happens, we turn our head. Every time the world offers us a, a better job, we turn our head. Every time uh, that society offers us more prominence, we turn our head. Every time that the world offers us its pleasures, we turn our head. We can't never go forward. You know what's happened? We're listening to the wrong master. You know, if we're going to go forward, God's got to be the only voice we're willing to hear. I would say this, there had to be a singular loyalty. Number two, I notice in that same verse, here's the second thing. He says, I need a donkey whereon yet never man sat. Then he said, this is what I want you to do. Loose him and bring him hither. Loose him 
and bring him hither. Now, some commentators suggest that what it means is, is take the rope and, and untie it and then you drag that donkey. But I don't think that's what's happening. I think when he says loose it, here's what he's saying. He'll come back to me. He'll come to me, but he's got to be let loose first. In other words, I'd say at this, we have to have a singular loyalty. Number two, we have to have a sanctified liberty. God gives us liberty, but He doesn't give us liberty to go our own way. He gives us liberty to go with Him. I would say this, consider how He was loose. The rope that bound Him to His old owner was cut loose. Nothing could hold Him back or slow Him down if He was to be used by the Lord. Some of us, God can't use us because we got too many things dragging on us. We got too many sins, too many habits, too many uh, opposing loyalties, and, and and too many responsibilities that have nothing to do with God's mandate on our life that we've allowed to be harnessed around us. We can't go on do anything for God. We've not been cut loose yet. We've not been set loose. Liberty is not just listen carefully. Liberty is not just synonymous with redemption. There are plenty of people who are saved by the grace of God and are in the gall of bondage. Uh, people that are saved, I'm talking about as saved as you or me, but they've let the world put tent stakes in them and ropes around them and they got their head turned every which way except forward and into the will of God. Uh, consider how he was loose. And I thought about this. Consider where he was located. The Bible says in Mark 11, 4, I already mentioned it, they went their way and found the colt tied by the door without in a place where two ways met and they loosened. Uh, you're always in a place of decision in your life. You're always in a place of decision. If you're waiting until there's no more decisions to make a decision, you'll never make a decision. In other words, if you're waiting till all the circumstances of life have so settled themselves that you have no direction but to go to God, you'll never go to God. The devil will always make sure that you're in a place for two ways now. A donkey had to make a decision. First, he had to make a decision to stay. Then he had to make a decision to return it. And consider where he was led. Though he was loosed, he did not run away. He obediently followed to the Master's presence. Boy, my, we, we could just sit here and preach on that all day. And I won't, but we could. We could talk about how God gives us liberty, not, not license. There's a difference between liberty and license. There's a lot of Christians that, that live in license and illicitness and sinfulness and say, well, thank God for liberty. God sets up in heaven and won't even, He won't even stomach it. You know, the Bible talks about this. What should we continue in sin that grace may abound? This is what, this is what the Holy Ghost said. God forbid. God won't even allow that talk in His presence. God won't even allow that frame of thinking around Him. He forbids it. He casts it out of His presence. There's a lot of what Christians call liberty. It ain't liberty, it's license. How do you know when it's real liberty? Because it always leads you closer to the Master's presence. They cut him loose. And what did he do? He made a beeline for Jesus. When you've got liberty in your life, I'm talking about liberty in the Lord. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. I'm talking about the liberty that the Holy Ghost gives. It won't take you down some other alleyway or some other path. You'll make a beeline closer to the Lord. So I, I would say he had to have a sanctified liberty. And then number three, and I'm done, he had to have a servant's humility. Now remember, there's two donkeys here. That's what Matthew tells us. That's what Mark tells us. There are two donkeys. There's not one. There's two donkeys here. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd find it hard enough to, read, to, to ride one donkey, let alone to ride two donkeys. Now, think about these different donkeys and their roles. We think about the colt that carried him. You know, some people in life are blessed to have that personal, close, identifying, intimate ministry of being the one that uplifts the Savior. Uh, those of us that are blessed, and man, I humbly count myself in part of this crowd, not because I deserve, 
but because I'm just a trophy of God's grace. We're blessed. Our job is to lift Him up. To lift Him up. To lift Him up. To show Him to men. To exalt Him. To stand up. To preach. To teach. To disclose. To share that glorious truth. And in a sense, we're all commanded to do that. But some of us, that's our sole responsibility. But then we find not only was there the cult that carried Him, but I see there was the mother that ministered. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, the Bible tells us this. Matthew 21, verse 2. This is what the Lord said. Go unto them, go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. So it wasn't just one donkey that was led to him, it was both. Listen to what it says down in verse 7. It says, And they brought the ass and the colt and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. Here's the question. Which donkey carried Jesus? Well, the other gospel writers tell us. In our text, we read that they cast their garments upon the colt and they set Jesus thereon. And as He went, they spread their clothes in the way. Now, think about this with me. There's two donkeys here. They've both been loosed. They've both been led to Jesus. They've both had garments put on. Don't you imagine they were both excited? But Jesus only rides on one of them. Rides on the colt. It begs the question, why was the mother there? I believe this, young untrained donkey, I believe that mother was there to calm and to give encouragement to that donkey of hers. In other words, we could say it this way, she was there in a support role. I don't know about you, but knowing me, if I'd been that donkey, I'd have said, well, if I ain't going to carry him, I'm going to go on home. If I don't get to be the one that carries, I'm going to waste my time. I'll just go on home. But this donkey is more spiritual than me. Because she just ducked her head and said, if that's all He needs me to do, then I'll do it the best I can. Would we serve so humbly as that donkey? Would we be willing to watch others advanced and elevated above and even into the very things that we desire, that we long for, if it was the will of God for us to stand to the side and watch it happen? This donkey was. Donkey could have kicked and brayed, got mad and went on home, but instead she said, if that's all He needs from me, that's fine with me. I'll just go on and do my part. We're all called to do our part. Your part is not my part. My part is not your part. Your part is not the part of the person at the pew next to you. We're about to get into Dr. Seuss language, amen? Oh, I forgot we can't talk about that no more. Scratch that from the record. But, you know, we all have a part to do. God's going to use you. You've got to be humble enough to serve Him in the way He wants. In the way... He wants. This ain't about you or me. This is about Him. The sooner you realize that, the sooner they'll pack them garments on your back. And the sooner God will use you in the way that He desires. So I'd say this, man, of all the people, I think if I could just be the donkeys, I'd be okay. But you know the sad truth is, so many of us, myself included, we fall short of even being as fit for the Lord's use as those donkeys were. Maybe we ought to just submit. You say, preacher, how dare you call me a donkey? Well, you won't be. You won't be used if that's your spirit. I'm just being honest. I'm not being ugly. I'm just being honest. Sometimes honesty looks like ugliness. I'm not trying to be. Your attitude is, I wouldn't lower myself. Alright. Don't lower yourself. It would have been hard for Jesus to climb on if that donkey hadn't lowered his self. Go ahead. Go ahead. But you'll find the Lord can't use you unless you'll have that humility, that singular loyalty, that sanctified liberty. If you'll say, Lord, I'm yours and yours will. i got no other masters. Just you. I belong to you. Use me as you see fit. Let's bow together this morning as a musician comes to play. The altar is open. and You don't have to wait for the first note.
to be played, you can come even now and you can meet with the Lord at this altar if you'd like. Father, bless this invitation and may it glorify Your Son, for He is worthy. We ask it in His name. With our heads bowed, our eyes closed, the altar